Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in San Francisco at the brand new Chase Center for what I think is a remarkable, a riveting hour plus because two of the architects of this Golden State Warriors dynasty decided to sit down together and talk through this five-year run of NBA Finals of three championships, seven years together as president and the 35th overall pick in the draft who became an all-star in this league. And we talked about everything from Kevin Durant to the hard conversations that have to happen between management and players and how relationships carry the day through a championship run like the Warriors have had and bond Bob Myers, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, a really remarkable window into this Warriors dynasty. Here's Draymond Green and Bob Myers. Here in the new Chase Center in San Francisco with Draymond Green, Bob Myers, the first, I've done a few podcasts. I've had two coaches, rival coaches. I've had a a GM and a coach have not had a GM and a star player with the history you two have. So so first, thanks for doing this, guys. Before we started here, Bob walked into the room, had just overheard what going on on FaceTime outside in the hallway, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> we both got young kids, so I was marveling at how he communicates with his, uh, his, his, his little boy, and I was wondering if I could use some of that <laughs> language. <laughs> He's tough. He's, uh, he's laying out on the floor, crying. So I say, hey, DJ, can you get up, please? And he just looks at me. So then I say, DJ, you need to get up off the floor. And then he may get up, but he may not. He does everything on his own time. He's a pretty interesting kid. What What is it like learning? He's two, and so it's still the early part of this. But even at that age, like they're going to emulate what you say, what you do. Remember a friend of mine was a college coach and his wife was giving him grief because his kid was coming home and taking his jacket off and throwing it on the floor and throwing it on the floor because he watched his father do it coaching. So he's pulling his jacket off and throwing it around the house. He's like, see what you do? Like, are you more cognizant now of a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, you have to be. Uh, He, he, you know, he watches everything that I do and he tries to emulate it. Um, You know, we were... Uh, we were at my daughter's birthday party a couple of days ago, and and she had to send this birthday party, so they had the characters running around, and he is terrified of the characters. So me and him went and played like one of the games, and we were playing a soccer game against each other, and I scored a goal, and I like clapped my hands like yes, and he looked at me, and every time he thought he did something good, I I probably beat him four to zero. <laughs> I'm not allowed to beat my daughter's name. <laughs> every time I scored, I told him it was him scoring, though. So every time, and he clapped his hands every time and said, yes. And it's just like, obviously, that's a small thing, but he likes to emulate everything I do. So you definitely have to be aware of what you say and what you do. Draymond and Bob, like when you guys think of, when you both walked into the Warriors. Bob, when you drafted Draymond, it was really your first full draft as the GM. You'd come up from the agent side. You guys are over in Oakland. You come in as the 35th pick in the draft. 
like you didn't even know what a GM did all day yet, right? You were figuring out what what does a GM do all day, right? Yeah. Like you had been I still an don't. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but I... <laughs> like when you guys think about where you were in your lives, where the organization was, you're across the bay. It became a like a rock tour around here. It was not that in 2012. If you want to use that analogy, we were a, we were a band playing the, the local bar with a smattering of applause. You know, we were putting flyers on the telephone <laughs> posts and saying, come watch us play and talking to family and friends and saying, you know, we're, uh, we're pretty good and, and we, we might be better. And then if you want to continue that, it became a, you know, we were, by the end of it all, it was stadiums. By the end of it all, it was stadiums. We were playing, which is what you're alluding to. It became more than I. I, I mean, what? When I took the job, I, I told my wife. I said, you know, she said, "Is there going to be media?" And, and I said, "No, nah, it's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares." And I said, "I feel like I thought that we were getting. I was getting the keys to to drive like a Volvo." Or an Acura. Not that those are bad cars, but you know, there's a lot of those on the road, and I thought nobody's going to turn their heads. And then by the end of it, it's like a Ferrari, and those things are harder to—they're fast and they're shiny, and everybody's looking at it when you park and you drive. And but yeah, man, that's a that's a longer podcast to tell the story of those however many years. For me, when I think back to it, and we were coming in when I when I got drafted, we're coming off a 23 win season, and. Everything was just like, we need to be top five in defense. We have to improve our defense, like doing defensive drills every day, a month and a half before training camp with Darren or Irma, like, and just trying to build and then, you know, continue to move forward. And we're starting the season. I remember, like, we were passing out tickets on the streets of Oakland, and, like, we passed out tickets on the bar. Like giving free tickets away, and people was like, "Oh, I'm gonna be busy. Like, oh, we'll be busy. To, we won't be able to go to the game tonight." And now, you know, it was still always a good crowd, but like people were turning down free tickets in my rookie year. And now I complain about the price I have to pay for tickets when I have to buy extra ones. So, you know, it changed a little bit. When did it start to feel like? This is getting big. This is feeling bigger than than it was. When do you remember the sort of like the point that it wasn't like the Acura Warriors or the Bart handing out tickets Warriors anymore? I don't know for for him. I mean, the first year was that that first championship was not. I couldn't. I still don't understand it. I mean, it was overwhelmingly surreal. So I didn't feel like we felt – I didn't feel a lot of attention on our team then. I don't think Draymond was Draymond Green that we know today, and I certainly wasn't it. You know, nobody knew who – you know, Kerr, Kerr came in with some credentials, but uh, Steph wasn't Steph. Clay wasn't Clay. Um, but then in the next year, the 73 one year, I think that's when it started. That's when it began. Like this is – I mean, for people to care that much about regular season and the style of play – um, some, something happened where obviously winning it and then springboarding and being even better in the next regular season. But I didn't feel it as a player. I don't know what he, what it was like for him. Uh, for me as a player, um, like Bob said, the, the 2015 season when we won the finals, we were just wrapped up in it and having fun. Like there was, 
as good a year we would have, and there was no expectation on us to win the finals. And, by the way, we met LeBron James in the finals. Of course, like LeBron's supposed to win, we're the new guys on the block. And um, and so we just enjoyed it, and it was just surreal, like Bob said. 2016, even coming into that season, like everyone said, all oh, the Cavs was hurt, and I didn't forgot who else at this point, but, um, you know, these guys were hurt. And, oh, that was the asterisk. Yeah, was that the asterisk that everybody wanted to put an asterisk on that one? Yeah. Fluke. And I remember starting off the season, and I'm just like, wow, they're really going to, you know, discredit our championship. Yeah. Okay. And I remember, I, I can't remember if it was game nine or 11. We played the Clippers in LA, and they were up like 20 points. I didn't play that game. And we won. And that's when, matter of fact, it was game 11 or 13, somewhere in there. And that's when it was like, oh, wow. These guys are serious. And it went from that, you know, to, wait, how many games in a row are they going to win to start the season? And then all of a sudden we got up over 16 and 17, and it's like, and then every day you look on Sports Center, it's like chasing 33. Mm-hmm. And you walk into practice, and it's on a soft Tuesday, it's 90 media members at practice. That's when it started to feel different. And it's like, whoa, like, it's a lot going on. You led that charge, I think certainly verbally more than anybody, that you wanted that Bulls record. 100%. Um, because I I think, you know, when you, A, when you got a chance to make history, you, you make history. Like, you don't just give up an opportunity to make history. I mean, it's like we can play as good as we want to play and put it together as good a team as we want. It's not easy to win 73 games. A ton of things got to go right. You start talking about health. You know, how the schedule plays out. Sometimes you get schedule losses. Like, you start to talk about all of those things and how it really plays out. It's not easy to do, and I felt like we had a golden opportunity to do it, and we ended up taking advantage of it. But that was definitely something that I thought was very important and, and really wanted to accomplish. How much as an organization that year, Bob, did you guys have to talk about, are we keeping the foot on the pedal? Do we want to rest guys? Do we, it's important to the players, so let's do it. Or we've got to think, we've got to make decisions that they might not agree with for the longer run. How how much of that went on, is that year went on? Not as much as you might see in other play. I mean, I only know what we do. I've only worked for one team. He's only played for one team. Um you know, we've always tried to, Steve does this, I try to do this. It's not our team. It's not my team. My daughter, my daughter the other day says, what do you do all, at work all day, daddy? Don't you just pick the players? What, what else do you do? <laughs> Cause I try to explain like what I do. I pick the player, you know. What else do you do? Didn't you already pick the players? So, in a sense, she's right. That is all I do. Um, there's a lot of gaps you'd fill in, but, but it's not my team. And I didn't play in the NBA, but I'd always, the way it was easy for me, and I think Steve was, who am I, even though I have this title, to tell Draymond Green or anybody, you can't go for this record, uh, which is in a sense saying, don't try to win every game you play. Um, you can spin it a lot of different ways, but, you know, you can ask Draymond. I don't, I know there's a narrative that, that's why we lost the championship. That's I don't think that's why we lost the championship. I mean, people might say that to make themselves feel better, but we get, one we got beat. Fine, we got beat. 
But two, it wasn't – I don't feel like – you get tired winning any championship. I didn't – but ask him. I mean, they're all exhausting. I don't know that that one was more exhausting. Um, the Cavs were exhausted too. Look at that game seven. I mean, they, they couldn't make a shot. They got one of the best players ever to play on their team. Um, he Nobody could score. They're ex- the thing I remember watching that game seven was that both teams – what I – remember we'll never forget is how exhausted they all looked and how much i appreciated the level from both teams forget about our team their team like guys just leaving every ounce on the floor and i never thought well if we'd uh, not played and you know not gone for that record we would have won this i didn't feel that other people can say whatever they want that's not what i thought yeah i mean i didn't i don't think that's remotely close to being the truth um Everything that needed to go wrong for us to lose that championship went wrong. And, you know, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. And, you know, you live with those results. But if 73 wins is what costs us that championship, we don't get to 3-1. to one. And By the way, historically you get to 3-1, to one, you win. So it clearly wasn't the 73 games. Um, a lot of other things took place, and you got to give those guys credit. You know, they made the plays when they need to make the plays to win the championship. But... I know for me personally as a player, um, 2016 wasn't remotely close to the most exhausting run um, in these five years that we had. It's not even close. Was it because there were other years that were more mentally taxing than physically? It seemed like there were more issues that might have taken more emotionally out of you than Playing minutes is that is that why one hundred percent? You think about it from this perspective: we are some of the best athletes in the world that train that way, and and you train your body for that grind. It's a lot harder to train your mind for that than your body, and so as much as it takes out of you physically to go through an NBA season and the playoff run and an NBA finals run. It takes a lot more mentally because, you know, when you think about it, there's guys, and I can say this from experience, there's guys that play in four NBA games and has never even gotten their glute muscles to fire. Once again, I can say that from experience because I just learned this two years ago. And I said all of that to say, as some of the top athletes in the world, Probably the best skill that all of us have is compensation. We know how to compensate for whatever isn't working. We know how to compensate and make something else do the job of that muscle, of that ligament, of whatever it is. We're masters of compensation. And so physically, you could be hurt and you could be beat up. You're going to find a way to compensate and make it work. But mentally... It's a lot harder to compensate mentally than physically. And so when you look at some of the things that's taking place over the course of this run, the mental aspect of it was much more draining than the physical. And so for me, that completely takes out the whole narrative of 73 games cost us a championship. You talking about the wanting to go for it and Bob, and I think – 
you alluded to this the other day and you were talking about organizations. And like you said, you haven't played anywhere else, but you talk to guys and you see, you read and you watch and you see how different organizations operate in terms of dictating. There's places they dictate lineups, they dictate minutes, they dictate style of play, they dictate what you say in the media. We can go down the list. That has not been the case here. What, what, as a leader of a team, as a captain, as a star player, what is your expectation of the front office? What do you want from a GM to make this thing go? Uh, most importantly, and now I've been blessed as a, as a player in this organization and, you know, everyone who's come through here. Most importantly is honesty. And, you know, just be upfront and honest with me. If I'm playing horrible, tell me if I'm fat. Uh, you know, we've all known, we all know I was last year. Tell me. Did Bob tell you that last year? He definitely told me in a very nice way. Um, but he told me and just honesty, honesty about everything that's going on, transparency. And, and I think the luxury that we have in being here and playing for this organization with, with Bob as the general manager, and I won't say this just because he's sitting here because I tell everyone. The luxury that we have is Bob doesn't know how to lie. <laughs> he like he'll, Bob will come up to you. He'll try to sugarcoat something or he'll try to beat around something. He's going to tell you exactly what he means to say and not even realize that he told you something in a way he wasn't trying to tell you. <laughs> and it's simply because he doesn't know how to lie. And that's such a rare trait in our industry. You know, you got, I think, I don't think it's a secret. You got guys who get told an hour before they get traded that they're now on a trading block and they find out on Twitter an hour later that they got traded. Like, that's not the norm in our industry. Um, and it's, this is a dog eat dog world slash industry. Um, I'm going to do what's absolute best for me and you figure it out later. Um, we don't deal with that here. The basketball, the new arena, the facilities, all of that stuff is great. But the one thing none of those things can replace is peace of mind. And just being in an organization like this with the ownership group that we have with the general manager and coach staff, peace of mind is the reason this thing go because everyone is able to have that peace of mind and know no matter what it is, good, bad, or indifferent, I'm going to know. And I'm going to get it straight from the source. I won't have to get it from everyone else. Tissot is the official watch of the NBA. It's a Swiss watch brand with a broad range of high-quality watches at attractive prices. They bring performance and style to the game by offering painstakingly accurate timekeeping and stylish and authentic watches. Tissot prides itself on the precision and style of its classic, sport, and contemporary collections while committing to make excellence accessible to everyone. They offer a great variety from touch watches to sport to classic and trendy. Each one of Tissot's timepieces delivers quality performance and traditional luxury. Shop the latest timepieces at us.tissoshop.com, T-I-S-S-O-T-S-H-O-P.com in jewelry stores nationwide and follow the hashtag, this is your time and Tissot.us on Facebook and Instagram for more information about Tissot. 
What was the hardest thing you had to, in your time here, the hardest thing you had to hear from Bob? That I was being suspended last year. And that was the hardest thing for me because a lot of people don't understand me. Bob does. And I started to tell myself in my mind, wow, he's flipping on me. Like, no, nah, that's my guy. Like, I'm super tight with Bob. Like, I can get traded from here tomorrow. I understand this business. Like, it, it is what it is. That's a guy I always call. Like, he's plays a much different role for me in my life than the general manager of a basketball team. Like, oh, that's great. Great title. Congrats for president of the basketball. Like, great titles. But for me, those titles really don't mean anything because it, he plays such a bigger role in my life and and someone that I can get the truth from and almost like a life coach or an older brother. Like, however you want to frame it, he plays that role in my life and so that's someone I always called no matter what and it just felt like wow is this not the guy I've thought I'd known for all these years is he turning on me and I started to tell myself all of these things and then I turn on and I read it and everybody's like oh my god the Warriors sided with Kevin Durant right, it's like right. whoa right. that was I think was the toughest thing for me yeah and that was and that was exactly was going to be the perception. I got to believe, Bob, when you and Steve and all the people who make that decision, you knew that was the, what you're going to have to answer to. They, Kevin's a free agent. They have to side with, they have to suspend Draymond to save face with Kevin. I imagine you knew that would be the byproduct of that, of that narrative. Yeah. But can I, I'm going to answer that. <laughs> where are you now with that? <laughs> I don't even know. Like, where did you, where do you sit on that now? I just had to accept the fact that I was wrong. And once I was able to get over my stubbornness and accept the fact that I was wrong, I was able to move on. But it's like one of those things in life that like, you hold on to this one thing and they tell you you need therapy and you're like, oh, I'm fighting. Like, oh, I don't need no therapy. I can do it on my own. And, like, that one thing holds you back from whatever it is you're trying to reach. I had to just have a, like, deep talk with myself and, like, you were wrong. And what they did was actually the right thing. Do I think it could have been handled better? I think there was other ways to handle it. But nonetheless, something had to happen. And that's just kind of where I stand at with that today. Yeah. God, you know, that one is hard because the only thing I care about, I don't work for, this is who I think I work for. I have a boss, I have Joe. I think I work for the players. They don't work, I work for them. That's how I look at it. I want to help them. I don't even know that we should get a ring. Like, I don't, I didn't play basketball in the games. I just want to help Draymond Green win a championship or whoever comes through here. Like, the, to, to give them that, to feel like, I helped them do something. I don't ever view it as I did that. I helped them win. And the fans. That's it. Those are the people I work for. So beyond that, what I care about is that my relationships with people that come through here. 
So when I had to, when, when Steve and I sat with Draymond, the hardest part was thinking what he just said. He thinks he doesn't know me and that I've changed. That was the hardest thing because I we do know each other pretty well, and I could see his wheels turning. Like, oh, really? Like you're you're done with me too? Like th- this is where you are? And we didn't talk, and we talk like we didn't. He wouldn't speak to me. Um, and so when you talk about how that was going to be perceived, I yeah, I'm not stupid. I know what people are going to say and write. The only way I can go to bed after that decision was, I thought what we did was right. Whatever the hell happens after that is going to, especially in this league, I can't control any media narratives. Never will. So the only way you exist in any job is you do what you think is right and whatever lands on you lands on you. But most importantly, it was my relationship with Draymond or, or any player for that matter to say, this is what I thought was right. And if you really know somebody and look, maybe I was wrong. I don't even know. Like sometimes in life you do the best you can. And could have been handled differently. I think it could have been handled differently preceding that. If I had to go back, it wouldn't have been after. It would have been before. There was a buildup to what happened that night that maybe you should have gotten out in front of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you kick yourself. That's the job. If you want to know my job, like that's my – I feel like you are – you look around the locker room after a loss and you look at Draymond or you look at any player on the team and you go – Something's, something's happening. Or any player. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's, it's, I gotta, and most of the time in life, you know, we don't, we don't have those conversations. Like, when you, when I told him he didn't need to get shaped, like, but pretty easy to not say that. Probably easier to not. But, the level, I don't know how Draymond felt. I gotta be, last year I was, ex, I was exhausted. I mean, I was bottom line. Like, I know people, whatever they think of it, they think of it, but, that's where you start. That's where you start going. I, I just I don't have the energy. So you always look back on things and say, "I should have had more energy." But it's uh, the, the only thing you have in this business. If you walked into my house, there's no warrior. I, I like work, my job. You'd have to dig through my cabinets to find anything warriors. What I care about is not an autographed picture of Draymond Green. I want to in 15 years call Draymond Green, and he's in San Francisco or New York. Hey, let's go to dinner. And have a real relationship with him or any player. I don't care if the player played here, plays here, won. What else matters? You know, you win a championship, you get these, you make money, and then you go home and you got no all these people you worked with. You you don't have a relationship with them, with his teammates, with your coach. Like, what do we? This business is so hard to maintain relationships. It is imp- It is so hard because of. The public component of it, the competitive part of it. But what I love is, had I not been in basketball, you think I'm ever meeting a Draymond Green in my life, a kid from Saginaw? You know, I didn't grow up anywhere near like that. So in 10 years, if I had entered almost any other walk of life, I'm not going to hang out with a kid from Saginaw that now has more money than he knows what to do with, that achieved all this stuff, and can sit down and be like, how's it going as a dad? You know, like, what's happening with you? That means so much more to me. So when we had that conversation, I was like, am I losing a relationship? Like, am I losing am I losing what, what matters to me? And so that's what was hard. For, I know it was hard for him. But, you know, if you have a real relationship, you get through that stuff. You talk about 
maybe it could have been addressed before. And this is what I don't think like the average fan understands is the role, like when is it right for management? The coach is different. Um, the coach is in the locker room every day with you. I think the front office feels like, I think there's always a different feeling about how much should I be in the locker room. I think you have to have a strong relationship with your coach. Some GMs and some coaches go crazy if they see their GM in the locker room because the relationship's not strong. You have that, you have that relationship here. But how much should management get involved? Like, cause, hey, if it's between you and KD or any, any dynamic in a locker room, that relationship, how much of it is let us work it out or, hey, maybe we all need to talk about this thing or maybe you guys need to be involved. Like, where's your thinking on that as, as time goes on? Um, my thinking on that is, is two-sided. The first side is most management need to stay the hell out the way. And the reason I think that is because – there's a very unique situation here where this is actually my friend. That's not the case in most situations. So in turn, Bob knows more than the average president of a team and general manager because he has relationships with all of us. Bob had a relation or have a relationship with me, still has a relationship with Kevin. So because there's relationships there, when you see Bob walking through the locker room, it's not like, oh, what is he coming to say? Or why is he in here? It's just one of the guys in here. Yeah. Or Bob's in the cold tub at the same time. We're in the cold tub. It's not like this guy can't wait till the players are done. It's like, no, one of the guys in the cold tub. And so in most situations, management don't know the players. And so you're trying to manage a situation Manage personalities, manage relationships that you don't know. And so in turn, you get in the way and you mess it up even more. Our situation is different where we all have relationships. And so I think if you ask me, through all of this that we've done and been able to accomplish from picking me with the 35th pick to... Winning NBA championships to losing a couple NBA championships. The one failure that we had, and most people would be like, oh, you lost three to one. Oh, you guys lost last year. The one failure that we had was our communication lacked when we needed it most. And at that time, where we needed to be communicating about everything that needed to be corrected, and being out in front of the problem, of the problem that was brewing, our communication wasn't where it needed to be. And because our communication wasn't where it needed to be, it took a huge hit on what we had built here, or what we have built here. And, you know, we all got through it and worked through it and almost won a championship. But we also all went through some unnecessary things that if our communication was as stellar as it always been, we wouldn't have gone through. And who knows what that changes. What people don't know, which is so hard to know, which requires time and energy, is Kevin and Draymond probably will be the closest guys. They're going to be friends for their whole life. Like this. 
it, it's almost like a brother thing where Draymond and Kevin, they know each other. Like there's a real relationship there. And so, you know, it's one of those things where in the aftermath, when they spoke, they laid it out for each other and they're like, okay, I gotcha. Like now I know where you're coming from, from both sides. But that could have happened earlier and that would have prevented it. And then we, <laughs> we have, we've all, we've all three, uh, we've been to thousands of dinners in our lives, right? We've all been to tons, right? However, we had a dinner in Salt Lake City. I swear to God, man, it was not just Kevin and Draymond. It was, you know, Steve, Sean, me, Andre, um, Steph. That may be, I mean, separate from my family, I will never forget. I could tell you where everybody was sitting at the table. I could tell you what they said. I could tell you what was said. And that was, I don't, I don't want to say it was good or bad. It was just so memorable, um, and honest mm-hmm. for all of us. But it, but it, you can't walk into that dinner without the experiences that we had had over the years and understand any of it. And the way people were, the things people were saying to each other, just, you don't get to, you don't get to be that honest that often in life. Yeah. And I think that's what I love. I walked away from that dinner and was like, God damn, like at least, this is the, these relationships are real. How long was that in the aftermath of the um, suspension? That dinner, a couple weeks. Yeah, a couple weeks. Yeah. about a couple weeks. And it was much needed because it was just like a fog, um, like it was just a fog over the team, and we could all feel it. Like we we know what's right, we know what feels right, like. I like to think I don't know everyone else's experiences, but I like to think we had some of the best feeling experiences together winning 73 games, winning a championship. Like, that first year Kevin came here, like, nothing could go wrong. Like, everyone was just happy, ecstatic. It was like a like a fantasy world. Like, And we, by the way, up until Christmas Day, after Christmas, when Steph and Kevin kind of had their thing of Kevin telling Steph, hey, man, I came here to play with you guys, and I'll figure it out. I just need you to play your game. And then at that point, we became pretty much as close to unbeatable as we wanted to be. And I don't say that in a cocky way, but I I truly believe that. Like, if we walked in, a, in an arena and we said we were going to win that night, we were going to win. And if we walked into an arena and said, ah, We'd probably still win. But everything just flowed crazy. And that was just the complete opposite. Like, you could just feel nothing was right. I wasn't really talking to anyone. I was just kind of cruising around the facility, and I had been hurt, so I was just all over the place. And you could just see, like, this huge hole missing within everything of, like, I I am the vocal leader of this team, and I do lead in a way, in a different way than everyone else, which makes this thing work. Like my leadership, without the way Steph leads, this thing doesn't work. Kevin's leadership, the way Kevin leads, without Steph's, it didn't work. And so, and you could just see the hole, and we all knew it needed to be fixed. Would you have said what you said to Kevin? away from the court, away from the game situation, and basically sent the same message um, if you could do it over prior to that. 
100% because the thing that bothered me most was not that Kevin was mad or not that people were saying I was wrong or not that we lost that particular game and definitely not that Kevin decided to leave. The thing that bothered me the most was that when Kevin goes on and his things that he's doing in the media or stuff and he say, oh, I wasn't, like, I wasn't a part of that or, like, I was different than those guys. A part of it is, like, you know, he were one of us and it pisses me off, but me knowing Kevin and having an actual relationship with him, I know exactly what he's saying. A lot of people didn't know Kevin. I actually did. I actually knew the way he was raised. I actually knew the things that bothered him. I actually knew the things he enjoyed. Like So the thing that bothered me most was I lost his trust. How do I get that back? Because not so we can win a championship or we can win some games. That, that is what it is. But I actually love this guy. Like, that's really my brother. Like, and so not knowing what's next in our relationship bothered me way more. Bob and, and Steve, they told me, like, you need to apologize to Kevin before I got suspended. And I said, no, I'm not apologizing because y'all tell me to apologize. I'm not going to do that. And I didn't. And I never apologized to him until I came to grips with myself of you were so wrong and how do you fix it? Not because of some games or the team ain't flowing right, but I can kind of see a look in my brother's face that I have not seen. He's hurt. How do I fix that? And that was what bothered me more than anything. In that whole dynamic, because in the end – for both of you, because you guys cared, and 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 Steph and Clay, like what you guys all cared the most about was winning. Does it get in the way of winning? And I always kind of sense. I hate this term, your North Star. I think it's kind of stupid, but that's the thing that I always think rose over everything. Does this get in the way of winning? Right, and in terms of making a decision about how to handle something, and when you ask Draymond, hey we would like you to apologize and what's going on here is you're trying to get the team back on track trying to get you got a long road it was early you know you got a long road to the finals was that what was hanging I, over I, I, I don't I look at it like you know we're friends I like you <laughs> I didn't look at I don't look at anything like that okay I feel like our foundation was splintered I felt like two guys that really like each other, that have a real relationship, have fractured that. And it's sad. It's like, you guys are friends, man. Like, who, not who cares about our next game, but like, you don't get to go through life. He won two championships with this guy. Like, how can you, that means so much more than people can understand. Like, to, to go to three finals with a teammate. I, I didn't play, but for me to have that guy on our team for three years and help, he helped, he changed my life, sort of draining all these guys, like, it's more about what would you rather do, win a championship or lose a friend? Like, what, if your team is intact, you you deal with the results and you live with them. 
winning doesn't say we won the championship and, and in the in the process of winning that we all hate each other yeah i guess there's something good about that but not to me so i was more upset that these guys like each other man like these are real this is a real relationship and i do genuinely believe and i i can't control it but those guys are going to be friends like they they just they get each other man they're different they're two different guys very different but a lot of layers to Draymond. A lot of layers to Kevin. Um, so what? They're interesting. They're like complex in, a, in an authentic way. Like you don't you don't get to figure out. He hears it all the time. Like what's Draymond? Oh, he's a good guy. He's a bad guy. He's this. He's all that stuff. Like Kevin. Like he's this. Or that. You can't define these people in one thing. And why would you try? Because that guy's pretty damn boring. If you want to tell me, like I figured that guy out because I watched him on TV and saw some interviews. No, you don't. No relationship works like that. You got to see, like, peel back the curtain and watch this stuff. And that's the fascinating part of, I think, any occupation or any craft is how do you move through it, try to meet your goals, and in the same way form these bonds that when this all ends, he's not going to play basketball forever. I won't have this job forever. Now what do I got? What? Because going to sit at home and watch TV. I mean, no, I got. I want to call a buddy. I want to see like what's going on with you. That's the stuff that stays. So for me, it wasn't. We better get this right, or we're not going to win. I guess maybe, maybe I should look at it like that, but that, that's not how I viewed it. When Kevin left, what you sometimes see, what you've seen in other organizations in the league, there is like a real animosity that you can feel from the team who feels shunned, who feels let down. We did all we could for you. You didn't appreciate it. It's, it's always felt to me that the Warriors made a, I don't know if you had made a decision. And I think it speaks to the use of the relationships. There was none of that when Kevin left. And it almost seemed a little bit that I want to say you were at peace with it because you wanted him to stay. But I, I don't know that you were shocked that he left, that it seemed like he just wanted something else. And there was more just gratitude. We won the titles together. We had a historic success in a lot of ways. And uh, we're, we're glad you were part of it. It felt like that's how you guys looked at it when he walked out the door. I think that was exactly what it was. And I think when, you know, Obviously, we all want to win. We're all super competitive. Um, and most importantly, we all have a job to do, which is to win games and try to win championships and fill these arenas. Like, we all have an obligation. But more importantly to us is the human side of it. And none of us want to see Kevin here if he's not happy. We want to see him do the absolute best possible thing for Kevin. Because also, yeah, Kevin can stay here. And if he's unhappy, we'll still win because we'll still be really good. But we're not going to be happy. Right. And nobody wanted to go through that environment anymore. No one right. wants that. And so if he thinks there's something on the other side for him, more power to him. We want the absolute best for him. And whatever that thing is. We all hope it works out because at the end of the day, on the other side of this thing, everybody loves basketball is the life that you live on a daily basis. And if, and if, 
And if you're not happy on a daily basis, forget the basketball. Like, who cares about that? Like, what about your daily happiness? And for him to make a decision like that, we we all know it's not basketball. Like, we won. And had he been on the floor in the finals, we would have won again. So, clearly isn't basketball. And so, because it's not, it can't be. It's impossible to be basketball with the success that we had. Then you just wish and want the best for your brother. And and that's what it was from here. I think a lot of teams that, you know, show that spite when, when a guy leave or, you know, feels like, oh, they've been messed over, they usually haven't accomplished what they thought they should have accomplished or they set out to accomplish. Because when LeBron James left Cleveland the first time, all hell broke loose. He left the second time and everyone said thanks. Why? Because they accomplished what they set right. out to accomplish. And so now it's like, oh, you, you've done your duty Great, do what you want to do with your life. Well, yeah, we did our duty, but more importantly, do what you want to do with your life because it's your life and we want to see the, the absolute best for you in that life. Hey, Jeremy, you mentioned LeBron leaving Cleveland and going to Miami. Like, I don't know if Kevin Durant comes to Golden State if LeBron hadn't made that decision. And then Kevin comes here and you win big. He comes onto a team that had historic success at, you know, the, wins record the year before and and had lost two in the playoffs. And it feels like those two decisions in this last decade, you talk about like that term player empowerment and what exactly it means. Does it feel like what you guys went through in gold state has opened the door, maybe fully open. Like anybody can go anywhere they want for any reason without really fear of repercussions or the perception. Like this summer showed that even a little more that this group, and, and you have to give LeBron a lot of credit for that because going to Miami changed. But but what your team did to me validated any decision any player wants to make going forward. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, like you said, LeBron kind of started this whole thing with going to Miami. Um, and it just gave players a different type of power when they did that. Because, you know, it was just like, oh, you're not in control of my future. I'm in control of my future. You're not going to tell me what I can do. I'm going to do what I want to do and what I think is right for me. And, you know, even then it was kind of frowned up on. And usually when you do something out of the norm, it's, it is frowned up on before it creates change. And then it just kind of went on and time went on. And then he went back. And then all of a sudden Kevin came here. And I think that really opened the floodgates. So LeBron created the change for sure and definitely spearheaded and gave players power that players never had before. And then Kevin being the star that Kevin is and, and not only leaving OKC, but actually coming to a team that had just won an NBA Finals and then lost in Game 7 and won 73 games. That was kind of that final stamp of do what you want with your future and what and whatever you think the right move is for you, do exactly that. And, you know, when you look at this summer, all these guys don't try to get to the situation they want to go to. And Kawhi Leonard definitely does not leave Toronto after winning an NBA championship if all of those things previously does not happen. And Kevin does not leave the Warriors and go to Brooklyn if all of those things previously does not happen. You've been on the other side of it, Bob. You were an agent for longer than even you've been GM president. You've seen the evolution in this league from, and you represented star players. You were at a big company that 
Um, you had Tracy McGrady who moved and, and, and lots of big players. How different does this league feel now than even, even five or six, seven years ago? Yeah, it's the league's different, but so is society, so is life. Like my dad worked for one company his whole life. Probably was scared to leave. You know, didn't know if he'd get another job. 30 years. I mean, guys worked in factories. They weren't looking around for what's better. But, but when we, when we evaluate anybody in life, I think the best way I heard it, I read somebody said, just because you don't understand doesn't mean they're confused. And I think you could apply that to anybody in basketball. Like, What's this guy doing doing that? Just because you don't get it doesn't mean he doesn't get it. So for whatever reason, whether it's a player or anybody, who am I to be so arrogant to think like, well, he needs to do this. I don't live his life. I don't know what makes this guy happy or unhappy. Why would I presume that I do? And I think that's the hardest part being in the public eye, not me, but someone like Draymond or even you, like well-known. Like, I think how do I ignore what will be said and live my life in an era where the media is bigger than it's ever been, where your life is either on social media or people are commenting on you or you've got a camera following you everywhere you go and you don't know if you should do that or if you shouldn't or if you should have a Twitter account or Instagram or should I post this, should I post that or what if I say this? I commend anybody that says like, this is what I want to do because that's all we're going to do for your whole damn life is figure out the answers to those questions. How do I best move in a direction that makes me happy? And I don't owe anything else to anybody. And if it doesn't please you, whoever you are, media fans, I'm sorry because I have a choice. I can choose to please you or I can choose to please me. And it doesn't make me bad or good. It just means I'm doing my best to go to bed at night and raise my family and be a good human being because I won't be unless I follow this gut instinct. So... What I think we don't, as a society, do a good enough job of is is taking a step back and saying, "Hang on a second here." And especially with athletes, do I have? I mean, I joke around about this. Like, you, you, I don't even know what it's like. Let's say Draymond drives home to my house today and just goes to the supermarket. If I if I put myself, he put himself. What is that like? Like, what if you're LeBron? What if you're these guys? Like, can you even walk out? Let's just start there. So then I'm going to sit here and say. Well, they shouldn't do this or that when I have no idea what it's like to just walk outside, to go to a movie, to go to my family's house. Are we, are they treating me differently? Um, to, to, to speak publicly for as much as they do. Nobody knows that stuff. I'll never know. I'm around it all the time. I see it. I've seen it with our team. Who the hell am I to think that I can understand that? So then you start there and go, okay, now I'm going to not only not understand that, but then I'm going to tell this guy what he should or shouldn't do. That's a pretty arrogant outlook, but we do that all the time. This guy's crazy. How's he holding out? You talk about anybody, Andrew Luck retiring. Like, what's wrong with this guy? What do you mean? What's wrong? Like, what, what if he's happier now than he's ever been? Is that a problem? But the problem is more for players now is, and, and this is hard because fans drive. We love that without the fans, it's, none of this happens, right? Nothing like none of it. Nobody watches TV. Nobody goes to the games. They are the driver of all this. But the issue is that how do you move through all that as a player when technically the fans own you to a certain extent? 
But if you let that happen, are you going to be happy? So it's kind of a cycle. So I think when you watch players or anybody in life, you know, look at Silicon Valley. Guys are bouncing around companies all over the place. Look at kids transferring high schools. Some of it's good. Some of it may not be. Maybe you lose the ability to persevere when you always think, like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go there. Some of it's great because you have confidence in yourself. You know what? I'm going to try this out. We're just trying to live full lives and make mistakes. Like, so what? Maybe one of these players, maybe me, maybe any of us, oh, man, that was stupid. Why the hell did I do that? But at the time, it felt right. So I think that's all you can really do. Draymond, you could have gone into free agency next summer. You did the deal in July, four years, another $100 million. How does that conversation between you two, like, you know, you could have, you know, you know what extensions you're eligible for. You could have done one the year before and you could have waited and done, you know, waited till next year to do it. Is that a conversation you and Bob have, you and Joe Lacob have before even your agent gets involved in it or because of the history? How, how do you guys do that? With our history, it is definitely a conversation that we have uh, before um, where Bob just came to me and said, hey, just want you to know that, you know, we're going to offer you the full max extension that you can sign. Um, how do you want me to handle it? And I said, great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and you and Rich can handle it from there. And, you know, that's what they did. And then he was just telling me, like, there's no pressure or rush, you know, whenever you're ready to talk about it or discuss it, then we'll talk about it and discuss it. And so, you know, the summer went on and I enjoyed the summer a little bit and went on vacation and then I got back and then Bob was leaving for vacation. And then Bob landed back um, like maybe Wednesday evening, Thursday. And Rich was like, all right, Bob's back. We'll start negotiating the contract now. And I landed in Toronto Saturday morning and it was done already. I was yeah. like, whoa, <laughs> that was fast. But, you know, with our relationship, I personally think it would be kind of weird if he just went to Rich and was like, hey, Rich, we're offering Draymond an extension. It's like, yeah, you could have told me. He'll probably talk to you the day before that day you're going to offer right. it. So um, with our relationship, he definitely said it to me first, and then we go from there. That idea of a max contract, there is just something, there is a connotation to that. Um, some max contracts are worth more than others based on lots of factors. But when you can in this league say, I am a max player, I got a max contract, and guys chase it, and even if the money's not much different from somebody's max is 29 and they're going to get 27 and a half, and, but to be able to say max contract means what in this league? Uh, it means a lot to some people. Um and it means absolutely nothing to others. Uh, for me personally, I can really care less about the word max. You know, in 2015, I could have fought for a max. We had just won a championship. I started, that was my first year starting and pretty sure, I think my max was 96 that year. I'm pretty sure if I fought for it after coming off a championship, I probably would have gotten it. But that's not important to me. I know I could have fought for that, but what was more important to me was what our team would look like moving forward. And if that's the reason I can't say I'm a max player, I'm a max level player. I know right. that. And that's good enough for me. But all max does is 
it really is just where your name sits at on the cap table and yep. if it makes you feel better about yourself great but it's not that for me and so this extension is like okay it was a maximum extension but I didn't sign the extension because it was a maximum extension because quite frankly if it was all about that I would have waited because yep. I could have got a lot more money next year it's not about that for me um, it's about being a place where I am happy, where I love and want to be for my entire career, and the max contract is what I sign, but I don't get off into, I need to be a max player, but a lot of guys do. I don't fault them for that. That's Whatever floats your boat, floats your boat, but that's not it for me. Bob, I remember talking to Spurs about this years ago when, you know, I think one of Tim Duncan's extensions, and I think they came in with him, and said, here's a max, here's the full max. This is, it's yours if you want it. But, uh, here's when I don't remember what the exact number was, maybe like 20 million. If you took 20 instead, here's how we can keep Tony Parker. Here's how we can keep Ginobili. Here's how we can pay this. Here's how we can keep winning championships. And I always got the sense it's a lot easier to, and Draymond said it, like he cared about who he was going to be playing with. When you have that history with the group, and it's not an abstract thing, hey, take less money so in a couple of years we can go out in free agency and get this guy and this guy who you're probably not going to get anyway or you may not get, that when you're putting a team together and you're paying guys, when you can say to them, here's how we'll be able to keep this guy who here's when Kevin came in, Kevin, if you take a little less, we can keep Andre Iguodala. We can keep was our Sean Livingston, right, Sean? And then it's funny how you hear people should not take a dollar less. Get every dollar you can. Okay. But like, I, I don't imagine with that Spurs team, any of them look back and go, I wish I had a little more money and I would give you back some of those titles. Yeah. Right. When you have a group together, right. As an executive, it's, and you have the right guys, it's easier to go in and sell that. Yeah, man. I, that one's tough because it's not, there's not an easy answer because again, it's who am I to say to a guy that, probably didn't grow up with much and has this window of time to make money that won't last forever for a lot of guys like hey give us some money back so 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 to that point you say I mean to any player the more you make which you've earned the less flexibility we have to put a good group around you okay fine but who's to say if I was that player I might say couple things might say well i've already won some championships man i've got those things like i want my money or i might say what are you gonna do and my answer like you said if it's abstract it's i don't know yet but and, and, and what if i don't deliver on that promise what if we just go full rebuild and he goes i took less money and you're gutting the team Who, what's the recourse there he's his check every two weeks doesn't mean as much so that's a tricky road to go i see it from both sides and it's personal. You, you know, it takes, like Draymond said, he, I'm not here to tell any player, anybody for that matter, how much money matters. Um, it matters what it matters to, to you or me, but, but, but the point is like, what's going to make you happy? I mean, you could use Steph's $11 million extension. If he does a max extension, we can't sign a Gadala. He may be never his MVP. We maybe never win a championship. So I can give you all kinds of stories about how it worked for us. Um, Kevin taking less. I mean, but then again, that has to come from the athlete. 
I can sit here and go, hey, let me tell you what I'm trying to do. Um, we're trying to build a championship team, and, and here's our parameters. And our owner will spend in the tax, but this is this is where we might get stuck. He can hear all that and go, I hear you, man, but you'll figure it out. Give me my money. And I can't be upset at that. Or he might say, if I take X, would that help you out? And I, I said, yes, but maybe not. Right? You talk about like being honest or relationships. Who's guaranteeing anything in this deal? Like guys get hurt, guys get traded. You know, trading Andre was, that was the worst. I mean, that is the worst. Uh, but you do it as best you can and there's, it's, it's just such, so hard. You go through life, it's so hard to find quality people that when you meet one, you don't want to screw them over. You don't want to promise them something, but you do want to lay it out and say, we could do this or this. But what happens if I leave that conversation and I, I, I kind of browbeat the player and, and, and kind of manipulate the conversation. And then a year later, he's kind of resentful and saying like, you, you told me some stuff, man. Like, then what happens? Not only did I kind of lose that relationship. Now I've got a pissed off player that's kind of like, screw this. My ankles hurt. And I could have come back last week, but I'm not coming back now. So I, you, you got to be very careful of, um, those conversations. And, and like anybody, you, you make choices. Draymond's going to, He's going to make a lot of money, but when he's done, he's going to have job offers. Does he take the one that offers $10 million a year that makes him travel more and away from his family? Does he take the one that offers seven? He might call me and say, what should I do? I'll say, whatever you want. <laughs> you know what money means now. You're 30, whatever years old. Um, but for a 22-year-old who came from nothing, I'm going to tell him something? I don't know. It's tough. Last thing, you, you were talking about that mental exhaustion. And I remember during the finals, we were... I think we were in Toronto and you were sort of using the analogy of, and, and you always preface it with, I don't play. And this is Bob. Like I, I'm not playing and I know how mentally taxing this is on me. I, I always know it's times a thousand with the players, but you're talking about it's like having this like long meal every single night and then you have dessert and then you have dessert again. And it's like the fifth night in a row. Yeah. And like, and I think you use your counterpart, like, you know, Masai and you're like, and you're like, man, I'm full. I'm tired. And Masai's going, well, I'll, I'll eat that if you don't want to eat it, right? Like I'll have You're that. You're not going to eat that uh, apple right? pie. Give me right? that. And 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 I I think it's exactly this. I mean, it's he's really talking about the players and the team. But is that how it felt at the very end? Especially as the injuries were coming, and you for the first time you feel like you're really fighting that uphill battle at the end, where like it is a lot to get to the finish line. It's harder than it's ever been to get to the finish line. One hundred percent. Like I said earlier, just. Everything that went could have went wrong went wrong, um, and I'll be one hundred percent honest with you. When we lost, I wasn't sad for a couple reasons. One, I knew every single guy on this team, every single guy in this organization. I mean, you go down to Jacob Rubin, like who's a video guy. His energy through all of that was absurd. And it stood out to me just how much energy he had and encouragement and just positivity that he brought around on a daily. I knew everyone had given every single thing they had, and it just was not our year. And, you know, as as a 
player on this team, as a leader of this team, I could walk out of there feeling good about that. I I didn't leave that game feeling like if I had have done this or if such and such had have done. Now we no we we gave everything we had and it just wasn't our year. It wasn't our time. And once it was over, it was a relief. It's just like, whew, like the way I view last season was. You know, like you watch Looney Tunes and like the characters spin around and then all of a sudden they're like sucked into the Looney Tunes sound and it's just like, whoa, they could jump out. Like, that's kind of how last season felt and it was just like, whoa, and then it was over. It's like, whoa, like, I can breathe now. That was it for me. You look at it and you go, if we were a band, which we, you started off with that analogy, we were a good band. <laughs> we were really good. It was it was it was the Beatles of a band. I mean, it was it was Lenny and uh, Lennon and McCartney. I mean, that was Steph and, and Kevin. I mean, it was that good. It's two guys that could, on their own, be the best. But man, if we were a band, we would have met before the year and said, "We're not touring this year. This is we, we toured. Like th- th- this is where one of the guys is like, I, I love it. I want to I want to tour with you guys, but I just need a little break. And by the end of it." Um, it was like guys were losing their voice. It was like, it doesn't mean you don't love to sing and don't want to, don't want to give it every, you still love the, 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 the job and you love your bandmates, but you're sitting there going like, I never got to stop. I never, I, you know, you, you, you played me till the end. You know, and we, <laughs> we, we can't stop this season's like, and I hate to, people that are listening are like, what are you talking about? They just keep coming, man. Like the games keep coming, and, and that sounds like a very privileged approach. But the truth was, it was five years in a row. I don't, not good or bad, it just was. And it, and that, but, but like Draymond said, nobody let go of the rope. Nobody tapped out. We had guys falling all over. We had guys, you know, everybody knows what happened, but nobody quit. Nobody gave up. And so when you lose like that, like I said, I didn't play, but. You don't regret that effort. And you've talked about this with me in the past. Maybe you've said it elsewhere too, Bob. And I know you'll remember championships and the winning, and you remember that. But I know the one that used to really stay with you, and I'm sure always will, was when you do your exit meetings and you're saying goodbye after 2016 when Draymond got suspended for Game 5. And the players came in, and they met with you, and they left and how proud you were that no one said what in those? Well, the best part for me was um, nobody said a lot of things, which people say in life, which I'll give you a lot of examples, was, you know, what the hell was Draymond getting suspended for? I mean, that was your opportunity. It's just me and Steph or Clay or anybody in the room, Andre, and I was actually expecting it, waiting for it, because it's human nature. I mean, we, we lost game seven at nine o'clock the night before and I was meeting with these guys at nine o'clock the next morning. It wasn't like they had a lot of time to decompress. Nobody said like, well, you know, Steph could have made a shot or, you know, he, 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 he should have made more. You know, it's different when you got a group of guys in the room that are all saying, I gotta learn, I gotta learn from this. You know, I gotta, I gotta be better. Or, you know, I'm not gonna let that Draymond said, I'm never going to feel this feeling again. Like I'm just not going to feel this thing. It's not going to be part of my life losing like this. When you lose, 
you, you find out about people when you win, but damn, not even close to when you lose. And I love that, you know, to be with a group where they, you know, that, that's, the, that's the sacredness of an organization is that part, which is when you win, everybody's love each other. When you lose, who are you then? That was, people would say you're stupid. Losing game seven of the finals and you felt proud, but hey man, these championships, these, these rings and all this stuff, it's great, but you talk to f- people when, she, there's other people that it doesn't, doesn't define your entire life. Guys, this was, uh, tremendous. Appreciate you, both of you guys sitting doing this. Felt like some, it's like a warrior's therapy session. It was pretty good. <laughs> Let's do it every week. <laughs> uh, no, this is a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys doing it and, uh, new building opening up here this week, the Chase Center and good luck on the season, fellas. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A huge thank you to Warriors executive Bob Myers and of course, all-star Draymond Green. Be sure to listen to new and archive episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get podcasts. And of course, stay on the lookout for the next episodes of The Low Post with Zach Lowe and Brian Windhurst and the Hoop Collective. Happy start to the NBA season. We'll catch you soon.